Hello, welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Graham Wilson. Our guest today is an educator, an author, qualified nutritionist and naturopath, and she's the health director at Misty Mountain Health Retreat in northern New South Wales. Barbara O'Neill, welcome to Wellbeing. Good to be here. Tell us about your journey into natural health. I believe you started out as a nurse. I did. I started out as a psychiatric nurse. Uh, this was in the uh, probably mid-70s and I was in my early 20s and uh, my partner and I wanted to have children and go to the country. Uh, we wanted to go back to nature. But as my children, you know, became one, two, three years of age, they had little ailments and I did not want to treat them medically. So I began to investigate natural medicine. And that's basically how it all started. Was there a specific instance, I mean, a specific condition that led you to it? There certainly was. Uh, when my first daughter was 16 months of age, she developed an, an earache. And I took her to the doctor because I didn't know what to do. I knew that you could grow carrots and potatoes and tomatoes, but when someone got an earache, I did not know. She was put on antibiotics because I was told that you have to be careful or they'll go deaf. The earache subsided within 24 hours. A week later, when she was off her antibiotics, the earache came back. Over six weeks, she had four courses of antibiotics. She finished her fourth course and the earache came back. I was very frustrated, but I didn't know what else to do. So I went back to the doctor and as he's writing the fifth script for antibiotics, I said, will my daughter be on this for the rest of her life? He was challenged by my question. So he referred me to an ear, nose and throat specialist who looked in Emma's mouth, looked in her ears and said, the child's teething. Give her these drops to keep the eustachian tubes clear. That was it. And I thought, that's it? So when my next child, say two years later, got an earache at about the same age, I did not go to the doctor. I went to the old lady next door. She was 85, I was 25. I said, what did your mother do when you were a little girl with an earache? And she said, my mother would steam up an onion on the stove. I steamed an onion on the stove. I applied it to my son's ear. He slept for two hours and there was no more ear problems. I was impressed. So that really was the turning point for me. Do you think a lot of natural medicine that you practice today is the old folklore? Did they have it right and we've lost something? I think they did. I think one of the problem is it gets put into the same basket with um, bloodletting and leeches and things like that. And as a result, I think a lot of people are wary of it and some say it doesn't work and some say it could be dangerous but I've never known of anyone to die from herb overdoses or potato poultices. I say to people it's worth a try, you've got nothing to lose and possibly everything to gain. One of the criticisms of the natural health movement is that there's no clinical evidence. How do you work out what's going to work? How do you work out what's going to work? Do you know, I'm always uh, intrigued by these double-blind studies because you can't have double-blind studies. Even identical twins are different. And so you can do the same thing to identical twins and get a different outcome. And I do know that a lot of the so-called studies that are done even on, um, on drugs appear that they're safe 
and then someone dies and they say well it didn't do this on the rats so I'm not really interested in that sort of clinical evidence because I say to people if you've got a sore back put a ginger poultice on it Mm. and one person will say oh that brought me great relief and the next person will say well that didn't do much and if they say that didn't do much I say okay well let's try something else so everybody is different but the beauty of the natural medicine if it doesn't work it hasn't hurt you Mm. are there any societies or countries in the world that have a better grip on natural health than Australia and New Zealand for instance Oh, definitely in Europe. One of our guests went travelling with his wife and he went to Germany. And he took his script into the chemist to have it um, put into his medication. And the the chemist said, we can't do that because that is an Australian script. But he opened this big cupboard and said, I'll give you a herbal alternative. And so he was given a herbal alternative and his blood pressure came down. (laughs) Well, let's explore some of the conditions that can be helped. What would you do, for instance, if somebody came to you with a heart condition? If someone came to me with a heart condition, I would, basically, I start with lifestyle. Most people don't realize that the hybridized wheat, which was hybridized in the 50s, and Dr. William Davis's book, Wheat Belly, he gives a very good explanation of that. Most people can't handle that wheat, and some people, their, their heart rate will go up. So it could be the cause of um, or contributing factor to high blood pressure. Also, caffeine. Caffeine can have an effect on the heart to get the heart rate up. So I would first of all look at dietary and then I would have a look at exercise. The best thing to strengthen a heart is exercise. And the safest form of exercise is the high intensity interval training. They're little intervals of very fast and intervals of slow. What type of fast? Well, it may be swimming, it may be running, it may be lymphosizing, it may be exercise bike, it whatever suits. You see, I teach that everyone should be their own doctor. I can advise, but the person does the fine tuning themselves. So I would look at dietary, I would look at um, exercise, I would also Um, look at hydration because if the blood's thick it's very difficult for the heart to pump and the best blood thinner is water just pure water also there's a misconception about salt it is true that refined table salt only has two minerals and that causes a big imbalance intracellular and extracellular which can increase pressure so I advise the whole salt which is Celtic salt which has 82 minerals and that brings back a balance in and out of the cell so we look at that there are also some herbs that are excellent for helping to thin the blood and even rebuild the arterial walls which is cayenne pepper and garlic and ginger and also there is a herb called the hawthorn berry traditionally it was always grown through England because it loves the cold climates the southern states of Australia you'll find it growing like in uh, Victoria Melbourne and the hawthorn berry is a heart tonic if a person's blood pressure is high it'll bring it down if it's low it'll bring it up it's very safe some of our guests will implement these things still while on their medication and as their blood pressure drops they can reduce their medication some will do it themselves some prefer to work with their doctor so you're creating conditions 
for the body to heal itself, aren't you? That's what you're That's focused right. on. That's right. That's right. Because the body is the only thing that can heal. Herbs may help. Food may help. Water therapies. But only the only the body can heal itself. I was talking to an orthopedic surgeon a long time ago. Sorry, not long ago. And he said to me, do you know, before us orthopedic surgeons came along, bones healed. <laughs> he said... Really, a lot of what we do is we just patch up. Hmm. He said, we just patch up. I said, well, I teach people to look after their bodies, give their bodies the right conditions so they don't have to get to you. He said, oh, I like it. I hmm. like it. <laughs> that brings me to something as simple as a, um, a painkiller. You have a headache, you take a painkiller. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, if that persists, that headache persists, you keep taking the painkiller, you're not addressing the problem. No, it defies reason. The definition of insanity is to do what you've always done and expect different results. So if someone has a headache in our clinic, we give them a hot foot bath. And when you put your feet in hot water, when you have a headache, the congested blood from the head is drawn down to the feet. So such a simple little thing. But these things do relieve the headache, but then it's important to investigate why the headache's there. The headache most headaches in our health retreat come from caffeine withdrawals. Sometimes headaches come, especially with women having headaches around period time, it can be a hormonal imbalance, and that's not fixed quickly, mm. but little by little that can be balanced. Sometimes headaches are dehydration. Um, you know, that's what I like to do, and I say everyone should be a private investigator investigating why these things are so. That was Julius Subner Miller's catchword. Yes. Yes. <laughs> why are right. these things so? We should all investigate that. And Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem on this. This is the first stanza. He said, I have six trusty serving men. They taught me all I know. Their names are what, why, when, where, how, and who. Mm. <laughs> Some people are confused. I mean, you hear so many things. One day fat's good for you, another day it's not good for you. Then carbohydrates are good, now they're not. How do you work your way through that? How maze? do we navigate our way through that one? Mm. I like to go to basic common sense, and I also like to go to basic science. And I'm thankful for Dr. Robert Atkins, who wrote the book... Um, Dr. Atkins' New Revolutionary Diet. It's one of the most fascinating books I've read because he goes right into the science. And some would say, but Barbara, you're a vegetarian. I am, I am. I do not eat meat because I believe that you can do superior to meat and that is by eating the legumes. So the, when Atkins says eat meat, I say eat legumes, nuts and seeds. But most people don't realize that his patients had to eat three cups of vegetables a day. They had to exercise every day. They had to drink two liters of water a day. It just wasn't a high meat diet, like most people say. But I mentioned that in answer to your question because he goes into the science and he shows that the three essential food groups are fiber, protein, and fat. So I went into science too because we should prove this. Um, I love the Bible verse that in 1 Thessalonians 5.21 where it says, Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. It's old English. Hold fast means prove it. If it works, do it. Mm. And you talk about clinical practice. I've been doing this for 20 years now and we see results. Some would say, yes, but they're not scientific results. That's anecdotal evidence. 
<laughs> That's what I'm interested in. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you're a picture of health yourself, so it's obviously working for you. That's right. And I say to people, if you try it and it doesn't work, just keep readjusting. Investigate why it might not be working. People like to latch on to something. Oh, wheat's no good. Okay, we'll leave all the wheat out. And then they don't do all the other stuff that you've talked yeah. about. So give us an idea yeah. of how you make that a holistic thing for your whole life. Well, there are some definite things that that should not be taken into the body. I don't think there's a need for me to define the alcohol and the and the marijuana and the methamphetamines. Um, well, they're, well, they're fairly obvious. On alcohol, though, people will say, oh, yes, but a little bit in moderation is not going to hurt you. That's what I hear all the time. Yes, I hear that too. But the fact is that alcohol is a neurotoxin. That means it kills brain cells. And so my answer to that is, is it all right to lose a little bit of brain cells? Because uh, they don't regrow. We need everyone we've got. So alcohol's definitely out. Cigarettes are definitely out. And by the way, 50 years ago, some doctors were advising their patients with chest problems smoke. What's also uh, not realised is how dangerous mould is. So I say to people, you've got to check your house. Mould is a toxic substance and it is a killer. SBS did a show on their science about two years ago. You can still buy their, this set. It's called Is Your House Killing You? It was uh, two DVDs and seven sets, and that's a real eye-opener. Refined sugar. Now, there are many books written on this. There's David Gillespie's book, Sweet Poison. There's Dr. Yutkin's book, uh, pure white and deadly Mm -hmm. in one of his chapters he claims it should be banned so refined sugar should go nothing wrong with a sugarcane plant it's the pure crystallized acid that's extracted out of it that's the problem okay so honey is fine honey's fine maple syrup's fine stevie's fine if you're diabetic be cautious on those you Mm. still have to be cautious with that caffeine is definitely out because caffeine disrupts the neurotransmitters in the brain Depression is a chemical imbalance in the brain and caffeine is the most responsible for causing this chemical imbalance. So that really has to go. And so people say, well, what are we going to drink? Water? Well, that's fairly boring. Uh, Peppermint tea? Well, that's boring too. Well, try ginger tea. That's got a spark. And try roasted dandelion root tea or dandelion chai. They've got a bit of a spark. And your tastes do change. Wheat? was hybridized in the 50s, as I previously mentioned. I mentioned a book that will explain that. Now, one of the problems today with Australians, New Zealanders, and wheat is that they overdo it. So when you have cereal and toast for breakfast, sandwiches for lunch, pasta for tea, it's just an overload, especially if this hybridized wheat. Many people suffer from brain fog, bloating. They're the two most common symptoms. Weight gain, thus the book Wheat Belly. Uh, psoriasis, eczema, irritable bowel. These are just some of the symptoms of having a, an intolerance to the wheat. One lady said, oh no, I've had a test for celiac and I'm fine. And I said to her, well, the test will only show celiac. It won't show sensitivity or it won't show intolerance. It may take up to two months to see the full effect of stopping this. So I challenge everyone, go without it for two months see how you feel that's Mm. that's the best test and isn't that what everyone's interested what works for me an alternative to meat then how do you make lentils interesting 
How do you make lentils interesting? Well, I've just been staying with an Indian family for a week and wow, <laughs> are their lentils interesting. You may not be able to stay with an Indian family for a week, but you can buy an Indian cookbook, you can buy a Lebanese cookbook, you can buy an Italian cookbook. They certainly know how to make lentils taste nice because they never had the ground to graze the cattle, so they had to get their protein from legumes. And what's the advantage of doing that? The advantage of doing that is that your legumes are cleaner burning fuel. And some might say, well, they don't burn clean in me. I get a lot of wind. Well, my answer to that is, well, it appears that the lentils weren't possibly properly prepared. So they need to be soaked overnight. They need to be well rinsed. Then they need to be brought to the boil and rinsed again and then have a slow cook. If someone still has trouble with the legumes, then I would go one step further and say maybe they need to look at some herbs to heal their gut. Maybe they're enzymes in their gut aren't working well. In the book um, China Study, Dr. Colin Campbell, he shows very clearly the danger of meat eating, how it leaves a high sulfur residue and that high sulfur residue is high acid and cancer cells love an acid environment. That's the bottom line of that. Can we talk about cancer then? I mean this is a growing disease in our society First of all, why do you think that is? And what can be done about cancer from a naturopathic point of view? Much can be done about cancer. And I think it's fairly well acknowledged that today we are subject to so many environmental poisons. And the microbes that make up cancer are basically opportunist organisms. So if there's a lot of mercury in the body, if there's a lot of chemicals in the body, if there's a lot of toxins in the body, then this is really ground for these microbes to, uh, to take root. Um, cancer is a complex issue because you could have 50 people all with the same cancer and if you investigate every case, there are different factors that have come together in every case to form it. And it's also multifactual in turning it around. And that's why it's important to investigate. If you don't turn the tap off, you're still going to be mopping up in the other corner. So it's important to investigate why these things are so. Often with breast cancer, there's a hormonal factor. Uh, one lady, she had inflammatory breast cancer. There certainly was a hormonal factor, but she was also living in a mouldy house. So the, the mould can also contribute to it. You mentioned mould before. Can you explain what the problem is with mould? Well, mould is an opportunist organism and it's the last stage of breakdown in the carbon cycle. And yeast, fungus, mould, they all give off mould wastes and those mould wastes are very toxic. In fact, to date they have documented 1.5 million different yeast, moulds and funguses and a thousand of those are known to cause disease in mankind. Let me give you an example. In 1921, Japan passed the Rice Act. You see, all through Asia, there was an epidemic of cardiac problem. It was a heart disease. And they traced it to the mold that was growing on cooked rice. Now, mold can be growing on cooked rice before you even see it. When you see the mold, it's at its uh, giving off waste stage. So in 1921, Japan passed the Rice Act and they put stringent rules on the keeping and storing of cooked rice. So the rules were you cook rice, you refrigerate it, 
but the next day you must cook fresh rice. So mm. rice was not to be kept over till the next day. Cardiac beriberi was wiped out. No more cardiac beriberi. So that's just one illustration that the mould that was growing on the rice, the mould waste it was giving off, was directly affecting the heart. So different moulds can have different mould waste that target different parts of the body. And in the book, The China Study, he shows that the mould aspergillus gives off the mould waste aflatoxin, and aflatoxin causes liver cancer. How do you cleanse the liver? How do you cleanse the liver? The good news is that God made the liver to be a recoverable organ. And there are herbs that are very good at cleansing the liver. The liver loves bitter herbs. You've probably heard the old saying, sweet to the mouth, bitter to the stomach, bitter to the mouth, sweet to the stomach, bitter to the mouth, sweet to the liver. So herbs like dandelion, gentian, St. Mary's thistle, they are all excellent liver herbs. Also lemon juice. So to detoxify the liver, the liver is called the master chemist. So when the colon's not working well, when there's a lot of toxins floating around the body, that puts a big load on the liver. So to cleanse the liver, first of all, you would cleanse the colon and get it working well. And then you would start to cleanse the tissues by maybe a couple of days on juice fast using green barleys. Uh, your greens are very good at cleansing the tissues and also lemon. Lemons are a wonderful cleanser. So there's a whole, and at the same time, taking the herbs. We hear of various things that are really bad for us. You've just mentioned mold. Some other things, salt, you mentioned the better salt is the Celtic salt, mm. uh, Himalayan yes. rock salt, something. What yeah. about standard rock salt that you buy on the supermarket shelf? Um, you'd have to bring up the company and ask them for a, a mineral analysis of this salt. When you understand that seawater contains 92 minerals, so you want a mineral content that is close to seawater. Mm -hmm. What about aluminium on your skin or, or in a container for water? Yes, and aluminium has been well proven to uh, damage the brain cells and, and contribute to things like Alzheimer's. There certainly are toxic metals, there are certainly are toxic chemicals and it's important to understand where these are coming from and how they can infiltrate your body and make steps to prevent that. Mm -hmm. um, aluminium has known to be in um, deodorants. So some people would say, what deodorant do you use, Barbara? Well, I have to tell you, I haven't worn deodorant for 30 years. <laughs> you see, when body odors are coming out of the body, it is an indication of what's happening inside of the body. I do also recognize that some people perspire much more than others. And underneath the arm, when there's a lot of perspiration coming out, and maybe there's a fair bit of environmental poisons in that perspiration, bacteria can develop underneath the arm and then you get an even more pungent odour. <laughs> so um, to stop wearing deodorants, one must cleanse their body, maybe go to a health retreat like Misty Mountain for a week and go through a detox. Also, I am told that crystals, you can rub a crystal under your arm, that's apparently effective. So I have to tell you I'm ignorant on deodorants because I don't use them. 
I mentioned aluminium for water bottles, not an ideal storage container. No, it's not an ideal storage container. The best water container is really a glass. Some people hesitate at glass because it can break. I've got a very nice little glass bottle that my granddaughter bought for me, and it's got a little foam casing. Mm-hmm. So that that can help. You can also get stainless steel bottles, and that's probably the most appropriate one, especially for children. And you can also get um, BPA-free plastic, which is like a hard plastic bottles. Okay, so plastic's not good? No, a lot of plastic contains nonylphenol or bisphenol A. Now, the molecular structure of estrogen has a phenyl ring, and that phenyl ring is the key that unlocks the door to get into the estrogen receptor site on the cell. So when people are exposed to plastics that have this phenyl ring, it can boost their estrogen. And the Cancer Foundation have issued a warning that estrogen is a known human carcinogen. Mm. And so that's why, especially for children and babies, make sure the bottles they're drinking out are BPA-free. I say to people, if someone has a baby, buy them some disposable nappies made out of um, plants, which you can get. Buy them a stainless steel milk bottle and a wooden rattle. And when they open the packet and say, what's this? Say, well, you might wonder why I've bought you that. Well, I'm interested in your baby's sexuality. The parents will be interested immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you're not sure how to explain it all, tell them to go to Barbara O'Neill Hormones on YouTube and it's all explained. What can we grab hold of after just listening to this, you talk here for half an hour, that we can most easily do to make our health better? Okay, I'll put it in a nutshell. Uh, Go to bed early, reduce your technology time, start drinking more water. Start having most of your food at breakfast and lunch, and if you eat at night, make it very light. Try eliminating wheat from your diet. Eat more vegetables, um, nuts, seeds, some fruits, and start exploring legumes. You see, there are three food groups that keep the food in the stomach longer, and that is fiber, protein, and fat. And the amount of women especially that have said to me, Barbara, I don't have my sugar cravings anymore. And stop the things that are harming that I previously mentioned, the alcohol, the cigarettes, the refined sugar, and the caffeines. Is it lack of activity in the main that's making us fat? It is, although wheat belly would also say it is the, the wheat and the hormonal imbalance can contribute to it. But um, let me just end on a very powerful form of exercise because everyone's got 15 minutes in the day and that is the little rebounder. Every office should have one. When you're getting tired, get on that rebounder, just give it even a minute or two. It's the most powerful exercise there is because every single cell in the body is being worked with a rebounder. That's like. A little mini trampoline. That's like your little mini trampoline. Hopefully by the end of the day, the sports sauce will be all sold out. <laughs> Get <Okay>. in early. <laughs> Just before we go, can you tell us a bit more about your book, Self Heal by Design? My book, Self Heal by Design, I was inspired to write it because of the lack of knowledge on the danger of mold. So basically it's called Self-Heal by Design because I believe the body was designed to heal itself. The subtitle is The Role of Microorganisms in Disease. I have endeavoured to make the book short, succinct. It's not packed with lots of stories. Sorry, I just wanted to go straight to the point. 
And in that book, I present my case of what mould is, how it develops, a little bit of history showing how through the ages it has been acknowledged to be dangerous by famous people like Florence Nightingale. And then I look at the true role of microbes in disease. And then I give programs of how you can eliminate yeast and fungus from your body. Thank you, Barbara. Today we've been talking to Barbara O'Neill, educator, author, qualified nutritionist and naturopath and health director at Misty Mountain Health Retreat in northern New South Wales. Barbara's book, Self Heal by Design, is available through the Misty Mountain Health Retreat website, mmh.com.au. That's mmh.com.au. It's also available on Amazon. I'm Graham Wilson. Thanks for listening to Wellbeing and all of us at Wellbeing. Wish you well.